0: Good morning. Welcome to Providence Medford Grand Rounds for uh, January 2023, New Year. Uh, Today we're excited to have Dr. Robert Hendrickson back uh, to speak about Kratom. He's the Program Director for the Fellowship in Medical Toxicology and board certified in emergency medicine and toxicology. He practices emergency medicine at OHSU and is a medical toxicology inpatient consultant at OHSU and Dornbecker Children's Hospital. Dr. Hendrickson completed medical school at State University of New York, Downstate Medical Center, Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn. He completed residency in emergency medicine and fellowship in medical toxicology at the Medical College of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and he joined OHSU. Emergency Department and the Oregon Poison Center in 2002. He's won numerous awards. Including teaching awards. Uh, and his interests include illicit drug use, methamphetamine, disaster preparedness, and acetaminophen. He is a professor of emergency medicine and the medical director for the Oregon Poison Center and the program director of the medical toxicology fellowship. Welcome Doctor Hendrickson.
1: Well, thank you so much. Um, And thank you for the introduction. Um, I am going to talk a little bit about Kratom today. Um, I have no conflicts of interest. I don't own any companies that sell Kratom or anything along that line. My, my, My goal today is to talk a little bit about the history of Kratom. A little bit about the pharmacology and then sort of what we can expect to see if someone is using Kratom on a regular basis and then end the talk a little bit about the legal status which is a bit up in the air right now. I will say to begin with that um, I have put a bunch of information on my slides um, that is because I want everyone to have the opportunity to have that information if they'd like to look at it in more detail. Um, But for some of the slides, I will move uh, through the slide relatively quickly. So I just want to warn you ahead of time, if you want to go back to the slide and get the information or or take a closer look at the the details of the graph that I have on there, uh, then you'll have that opportunity. You'll have the slides available. So the first thing that I had to tackle when I started looking into Kratom is how to pronounce Kratom. (laughs) And uh, it turns out that there is no good, correct way I have heard people say Kratom and Kratom or Kratom or Kratom. Um, And it turns out that all of these are a uh, relatively poor attempt at matching a word in Thai um, that really doesn't sound like any of them in particular. So um, I don't speak Thai, but it, it in Thai, it's something along the lines of katom. And so it, it comes down to it doesn't really matter how you pronounce it. Just choose one and run with it. Um, You can uh, people pronounce it all sorts of different ways. None of them are correct and none of them are wrong. (laughs) So I say Kratom. That's what I'm going to say throughout the uh, presentation, um, but none of them are correct or incorrect. So just go ahead and keep saying whatever you've been saying up to this point. So what is Kratom? Uh, Kratom is the product of uh, this tree and I've heard it described as a shrub, but it's uh, definitely a tree for sure. and the product is derived from the leaves it grows naturally in um the um equatorial pacific the the western pacific um and it was t- described and had different names in each of the different areas and different languages um that are uh where it grew uh um naturally and we um calling a Kratom, have sort of adopted the Thai pronunciation, or at least roughly the the Thai pronunciation. Uh, But there's a whole bunch of other names for this exact same uh, tree and exact same uh, leaves. So it's rather a beautiful leaf, frankly, Um, this uh, sort of bright green. You'll notice there's this vein that goes right down the middle. More on that in a little bit. Um, But the name of the plant is Mitrogena speciosa, and uh, Mitrogena comes from the uh, appearance of the leaf. Um, That on the right is the kratom leaf, on the left is what I always referred to as a popat, um, but it is actually a mitre, M-I-T-R-E, and um, the similarity with that shape is the reason why it has its name. So there's this vein that goes right down a very very prominent vein that goes right down the tree uh, sorry right down the leaf um and those veins can be different colors and the only reason i bring this up is because sometimes the kratom products are are sold very specifically as a red vein or a green vein or a white vein um, because of at least the belief that these have different chemical compositions and relatively predictable compositions um, in reality, uh, the composition varies, and the vein has something to do with the composition of the leaf, but um, it is not the only factor. The um, uh, uh, the traditional use of kratom was uh, chewing, so you would grab a leaf and chew on it for most of the traditional use in the areas where it grew. It was used as a very mild stimulant, um, almost the way that we use coffee or um, you know, uh, other cultures used uh, coca leaves, things like that. You would chew, slowly chew on the kratom leaf, and it had a mild stimulant effect to sort of get your way through the day. Um, you can picture on your way out to the field. You grab a leaf or two and chew on it, and it has this little mild stimulant effect to kind of get you through the work day on the farm uh, or whatever you're doing. And there was a different, there was a separate traditional use, which was much more of a sort of relax at the end of the day type of use where they would take the leaves, grind them up, uh, and then make a tea or a decoction out of it. Um, And this was more of an effect of a relaxation effect rather than a stimulant effect. And as we'll talk about in a little bit, there's generally speaking, a low dose of Kratom will give us a mild stimulant effect and a larger dose of Kratom will give much more of a sedative effect. Uh, We'll get into the pharmacology in a little bit, but that is generally uh, true. And that is generally how people use uh, Kratom as well. So that's sort of the traditional um, use in Asia. the um, you know, like most things, uh, if it has any kind of uh, psychoactive effects, someone is going to push the limits. Uh, and currently in Southeast Asia, there is another um, way of using Kratom, which is this thing that that people are calling four by one hundred, which um, or four times one hundred, I should say. Um, which is taking Kratom, making a tea, and then adding caffeinated beverages, and then adding pharmaceuticals. Um, this picture has like cold medicine, so dextromethorphan or chlorpheniramine, uh, diphenhydramine, uh, but there's also lots and lots of other um, mixtures that include tramadol, seems to be a really, really popular one. Um, and there's even reports of you know meth, cocaine, benzos cannabis um, not surprisingly this um, you know method of using kratom has led to a lot of toxicity it's led to a lot of uh, a lot of deaths in Asia almost all of which have involved multiple med- multiple uh, pharmaceutical products including like I said tramadol and antidepressants and meth and, and benzos so um, not traditional use of kratom at all but things have sort of moved in that direction and that's why you'll see some reports out of asia where there's lots of deaths associated with kratom it's typically this type of uh, um, you know attempt to get high euphoric um, uh, method of use and people will walk around with these um, and uh, drink them slowly through the night so What we see here in the United States is much more like this. I don't see a lot of tablets like on the right, but I see a lot of powder and then a lot of powder put into capsules. Um, That is by far um, almost exclusively how people are using Kratom. You can use Kratom other ways, but people uh, generally are ingesting it and generally it's in a tea. Uh, or it's taken in capsules. I think that's almost all of the US use. You know how prevalent is Kratom? I just did a quick search. I uh, looked at Portland because that's where I live, and I put Kratom into Google Maps. And <laughs> you know, it's pretty much available everywhere, including multiple shops. And you could do this with any city in the country, frankly. Um, and multiple shops that are exclusively selling Kratom and multiple shops that are selling you know tobacco products and kratom or cannabis and kratom um, and uh head shops and things like that so um the 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 shops that are selling kratom they kind of range from this sort of high-end uh kratom shop to um you know, uh, a little baggies that you can buy at a bodega or 7-Eleven or a truck stop. Um, and so the variety of what you're seeing out there is pretty large. Um, this, what does it look like? Most people are buying it in bags that look something like this is a 30 gram bag filled with powder. I'll give you a little bit of a close up on that. It, To me, it looks a lot like matcha. It's, ground dried leaves that are then ground. um, They kind of cake together a little bit. Most people are putting this into hot water and then mixing it and mixing it and adding more hot water and mixing it and they sort of make a tea. And as I mentioned before, you also seeing a lot of sales that look a lot more like this and, you know, it's hard to say, but um, I have less faith uh, in some of these bags that they contain kratom at all, um, or if they contain uh, other other plant products, or um, which are cheaper to manufacture. So um, you know there's very little regulation on kratom right now, and no one doesn't really know that they're actually getting kratom uh, at all when you buy, Um, and particularly when it comes in capsules as well. You don't have an opportunity to look at the material itself um, and to identify it if you know what to look for. So I went into that little shop and I asked, uh, I don't know, we have to come up with a good name, you know, for cannabis, we we call the people behind the counter bud tenders, or at least they call themselves bud tenders, kind of a play on bartender. But um, I don't know what you call that uh, in in kratom sales, but um, I asked what the dose is and what he said was, well, take about a half a gram and a tea and drink it through the morning that'll get you through the day. That was sort of like the caffeine. Like, you know, if you want to replace, if if I wanted to replace coffee um, to get that mild stimulant, effect, about a half a gram, maybe up to a gram. Um, And then I believe this quote was, if you want to put on Netflix and melt into the couch, (laughs) think about a gram or two grams. Um, So again, that sort of stimulant, effect at a low dose, 0.5 grams, and then in the one to two gram, um, uh, a, a newbie would have more of a sedative effect. Now, uh, there is tolerance to Kratom, more on that in a little bit, but um, there are lots of users that are using uh, you know, dozens of grams per day, um, and that really ends up in a sort of use disorder pattern or abusive pattern. The last thing that I haven't seen much yet, but it's this is the part that's starting to concern me. Um, is going kind of the way that cannabis went, you know, uh, starting as a botanical and then um, moving on to food products and edibles. And uh, the reason why, you know, with my poison center hat on, the reason why this concerns me is that these look very desirable for small children. And um, I think that just like with cannabis edibles, this is where you know, uh, small children, infants get in trouble, they find one of these around the house that's not locked on a lockbox or uh, in, uh, you know, opaque container, et cetera, et cetera, Um, then they will uh, ingest one of these and to get get in trouble. And this is my big concern kind of moving forward. That said, I have not seen much of this yet. Um, But, you know, if if any previous products are good predictors, then this is coming down the road. Um, and they do exist in Oregon, but um, you know, like I said, most people are now still using the capsules or the powder. So uh, who is using Kratom right now? And then obviously this can change at any time, but um, I, I typed in to Google non-Hispanic, white, middle-aged, male, full-time, employed, middle to upper class. And this is the picture that came up. So, um, but this is just a kind of reminder. That is the sort of typical. Now, obviously, anyone can use Kratom. It's freely available. Um, But most of the people that we are seeing are sort of middle to upper class, um, non-Hispanic, white, males a bit more than females, Um, and uh, middle-aged. Uh, 30 to 50, though obviously there's exceptions to all of those rules. And what they're using these for is a few things. Not seeing a tremendous, you know, when you survey people why they're using Kratom, you'll see a tremendous amount of people who are using it for that traditional mild uh, stimulant effect very small doses that you walk around with a tea, all morning type of effect. Um, what we mostly see when you ask people if they're using Kratom, and there may be some selection bias to to um, uh, survey data, but most of the people, about two-thirds, are saying that they are using it to treat acute and chronic pain. About two-thirds are saying that they're using it to treat mental health disorders specifically anxiety and depression Uh, and then another large portion of people are using it for uh, substance use disorders mostly to either decrease withdrawal symptoms from opioids or um, to uh, replace opioids uh, and sort of transition away from opioids now um, that's probably not a great plan, but we'll talk about some of the data and uh, and and why I'm saying that, because I think um, I think Kratom has had an interesting um, history and I think there was a tremendous amount of hope. and There still is a tremendous amount of hope that um, based on its pharmacology, it could uh, end up being a therapeutic uh, or one of the many components of it could become a therapeutic product. Um, I have more doubts about that now than I did uh, years ago, but um, I'll explain why that is. So it's like any plant product, it's extremely complicated. You don't have to know any of these <laughs> any of these on the right there. Um, but I think the two big uh, ter- the chemicals that are contained in Kratom, um, are, it's metragynine and then 7 hydroxymetragenine. Metragynine is by far the most common alkaloid. Um, 7-hydroxy is a really, really minor, minor component, um, but uh, what happens to metragynine is it gets metabolized to 7-hydroxy and 7 Uh, I'll show a little bit of the data in just a little bit, but it really seems like it's the main, active active component of kratom most of the active component is mitragynine getting metabolized to seven hydroxy and seven hydroxy having effects so what does metragynine do and i think this was um you know one of the reasons why it looked so attractive and was so exciting as a therapeutic is metragynine acts a lot like buprenorphine does um itself is a partial agonist at the mu receptor so it has an opioid like effect but it doesn't stimulate beta arrestin which is the the uh, aspect the, the downstream effect that has been associated with respiratory depression with constipation and with tolerance and so um initially metragynine was looked at as a potential um, not only just because it's the main component in kratom kratom as a therapeutic but then metragynine as a potential pharmaceutical as well and uh, metragynine has a bunch of other effects but just to clarify it does cause an opioid effect it does cause sedation thought that pure mitragynine would have a ceiling effect similar to buprenorphine. Mm-hmm. But if you did get sedated or respiratory depression, then it can be reversed with naloxone. Uh, and that has been demonstrated in lots and lots of animal studies. So uh, it is clearly an opioid agonist. Now, mitragynine gets metabolized uh, mostly to 7-hydroxymetragynine, but also to this pseudo Um, and doxyl, I should say, Um, and both of those are also um, opioid uh, receptor agonists. So, unfortunately, 7-hydroxymetragenine is probably more of a a full agonist, more comparable to something like morphine, hydrocodone, hydromorphone, fentanyl, Um, much higher binding affinity than metragenine or morphine. Uh, and has all of the effects of what you would consider to be the typical full mu agon- agonist opioids. Um, it causes respiratory depression. It causes tolerance. It causes uh, dependence in animals. Um, and for that, uh, uh, and and some interesting research that's relatively recent. Um, really points us in the direction that 7-hydroxymitragynine is probably the active substance that is causing most of the therapeutic or uh, uh, or adverse effects that we're seeing with kratom. Um, the the Studies on metrazoline are uh, demonstrate that there's a delayed onset of opioid-like effects, um, probably because the metrazoline has to um, get metabolized to 7-hydroxy. And if you give IV metrazoline, it's not very effective, um, and but and it's much more effective when you give it orally because the first-pass metabolism through the liver converts it to 7-hydroxy which is again likely the the active substance. So this explains why there's not a lot of people who are smoking kratom, injecting kratom, uh, doing any of the other, and almost everyone is ingesting it as a tea or a capsule or some other way uh, of orally ingesting it. And then that other uh, um, uh, metabolite is also a potent agonist at knee receptors uh, and more potent than the um, primary uh, substance mitragynic. Um So uh, lots of squiggly lines on the page here, but <laughs> the um point of it all is it's pretty rapidly absorbed. So if you drink it as a tea or you take it as a capsule, uh, uh, you hit your peak concentration in less than an hour. So very rapidly absorbed and has a pretty short half-life. So this is not something that is going to last for, you know, uh, half a day, a day, that type of thing. This is uh, generally going to be a couple of hours. Um, Half-life is about, initial half-life is about two hours. There's a much longer terminal half-life. Uh, but that's when most of the clinical effects have gone, um, and uh, uh, so that's less important for sort of predicting the clinical course. Now, there's it's not they're not just mu opioid agonists, and this is where so a little bit more of the excitement has come. Um, most of these are also alpha two agonists, which may help with alleviating uh, opioid withdrawal symptoms. Uh, serotonin agonists, which may contribute to elevation of mood, and D two antagonists, which has been theorized at least to be potentially antipsychotic, um, and so one. This is part of the excitement of these um, chemicals and the exploration as for them as pharmaceuticals is that they might be alternatives to antidepressants, alternative to antipsychotics. Um, and then alternatives to opioids. And so let me go through a little bit, and this is a select group of um, the data, but I think it's pretty representative of the overall data um, to kind of give you an idea of whether or not these things have some potential. So the first is pain relief, and I think there's a lot of people who are using Kratom for pain relief. Um, The argument has been in the past that this is, It's it's a lot better than taking oxycodone. Um, And if we look at some of the data for metragenine and and much better data for 7-hydroxymetragenine for it to be um, uh, an analgesic or antinoseceptive that is that can be equivalent to several of the opioids that we use. So uh, it is an opioid. is stimulating new receptors and is comparable to other opioids for, for pain relief. Um, the, the, the downside or the, the, the reason why I don't think it's going to necessarily be um, uh, a great medication for, for lots of reasons, I won't even get into whether opioids are a good idea for pain in general, but um, if you accept that they are, then um, this is one study that used a um, a pretty good dose of um, kratom. Uh, they used uh, 20 or so uh, male volunteers. They um, did this thing called the cold pressor test, which is uh, a classic test for pain tolerance where you take your arm and you submerge it into a bucket of ice water and you hold it in the ice water for as long as you can. Uh, and the measure on the y-axis is the number of seconds that you were able to keep your arm in the bucket of water. Um, and you can see the, the Kratom folks are the ones with the open circle here. The control or placebo was the uh, the, the darkened circle. Um, and they did have some pain um, effects, anti effects. But they didn't last very long and so uh, it was a fairly significant dose of kratom and the effect was only lasted about an hour Uh, so um, probably not something that is going to be super effective for long-term pain or pain that's lasting for hours unless um, you know you're doing sort of sipping a tea for uh, the whole day type of of effect what about antidepressants um you know I think we would all love to have a new antidepressant um on the market these there's some studies on these, and they, these are uh, very very primitive studies, but they're very well validated. These are animal mice studies that um on uh, depressed poor little depressed mice <laughs> um and this is the control group, and 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 these are measures of depression. So the larger bars are more depressed, and um, they this is metragynine in different doses compared to fluoxetine and amitriptyline, and this is just a different test. Um, but you can see, I think you know, these are super primitive tests. Um, there so seems to be some antidepressive effect. Um, this is a study on mouse on mice, I should say, and. Um, it is not in any way reflective of, you know, human studies that are well designed, et cetera. This is sort of the very, very beginning. Um, But we also, and you can see this sort of a dose-related effect here, but we are getting into pretty big doses of um, 30 milligrams per kilo, you know, ends up being two or two or two and a half grams of um, metragenine. which is a uh, very significant dose and has significant opioid effects as well. So um, I don't see mitragynine particularly um, becoming an antidepressant, but remember there's all sorts of other chemicals that are in uh, kratom and so I think this is the hope that we'll find one of those that might be antidepressant, but we're not there yet and I would not say that there's any data that suggests that using kratom would be a would be a Uh, you know, comparable antidepressant effects to the other antidepressants. All right, so what, um, you know, we know our patients are going to use it for withdrawal from opioids. They're going to use it for use disorder as a replacement for opioids. We're going to use it. um, Some are using it for mental health disorders like depression. Some are using it for chronic and acute pain. Um, I don't see the evidence very, very strong for any of those. Um, However, we know that they're using it and for some people these may um, be uh, at least um, uh, subjectively effective. So if someone is using it, what kind of adverse effects do we see? So the people who are using it, sort of the traditional use, that sort of mild stimulant effect, uh, can get some constipation. That's an opioid related constipation, but really You know, it's kind of like with most traditional uses of botanical materials, there's not as many side effects and it's usually pretty uh, well tolerated. Where you start to see big side effects like overdoses is when people are using higher doses. Typically, they're using it to get high or obtain euphoria or they're mixing it with other medications um, and uh, start to see um, uh, adverse effects at very, very large doses, things like 5 grams per day, which is um, a pretty reasonable dose, um, or you know use of kratom several times a day. Now there are a couple of other effects. This is hyperpigmentation that's been fairly well described. Um, it's photosensitive, so it's in areas that are exposed to the sun, and they get not just a sort of deep red, um, you know, sun, Uh, exposure, but also it has an aspect of a gray discoloration. Uh, It's not understood what is the cause of this or which individual chemical in kratom, but it's been described on multiple um, chronic kratom users. The other issue that uh, has been reported multiple times is cholestatic uh, hepatotoxicity. So there's not a lot of cases um, the FDA collected just eleven uh, cases that were really convincing that this the cause was kratom. Um, there's a lot of other cases that are maybe kratom, but I think the key here is that this is a cholestatic injury. It usually happens within a couple of weeks of starting kratom. Um, I don't know how to predict who will get it or who won't. So, um, But typically people will show up um, with relatively mild symptoms, but with jaundice. And you see the median bilirubin was about 12 um, elevations of AST, ALT, ALP, FOS, um, And the main symptom is jaundice. So something to keep in mind if you do see a patient that has jaundice to um, ask about kratom use. And um, There's a very small number of particularly considering the number of people using Kratom. It's very small numbers, but it does seem to be associated. And for those who are using Kratom in large amounts uh, and multiple times a day, Kratom sort of is well described. Um, all of the things that are listed on this um, slide have been well described in survey data. Uh, small percentage of people, but um, these all look very, very much like opioid use disorder. Um, And uh, obviously, survey data uh, for Kratom use disorder is going to have a little bit of a selection bias. Um, But in this survey, um, most, the vast majority of patients uh, reported that they were unsuccessful trying to abstain from Kratom once they were using it on a regular basis. So. um, you know concerns about that and kratom withdrawal is well described as well looks exactly like opioid withdrawal um usually stops starts within about 12 hours so you know the next morning if you're a very very heavy user people report heavy users report withdrawal symptoms starting when they wake up in the morning um, and are treated with more kratom. Um, But if you uh, can treat these patients with buprenorphine or other opioid replacement therapies, just like you um, treat um, opioid withdrawal and opioid use disorder. And unfortunately, that goes for um, neonates as well that are exposed in utero. Um, A pregnant woman with uh, Kratom use disorder or heavy kratom use um, has a pretty high chance of having a neonate with um, uh, kratom associated neonatal abstinence syndrome, which very much looks like and has the same symptoms as as opioid uh, neonatal abstinence syndrome and is treated with opioids just like any other opioid um, uh, abstinence syndrome. You know, uh, From the Poison Center perspective and, you know, sort of emergency medicine aspect of this, we do look and see uh, overdoses. This is not um, extremely common. Um, Most people are using this on a daily basis and will have chronic issues. Um, You certainly can get a an overdose, particularly if you're mixing it with other medications or have a goal for euphoria or don't know what the dose is. Um, I am very concerned about edibles um, and concentrates coming out because I think that toddlers will have a predilection to eating them just like they have a predilection to eating cannabis edibles and um, uh, a large dose of kratom can have an opioid like effect and cause CNS sedation and. um, uh, uh, Respiratory depression as well. So in overdose, um, we typically see what looks very much like an opioid effect, um, but there's also a fairly high rate of seizures as well, which is not something we expect with an opioid overdose, of course. Um, And that's about 10% of uh, in the U.S. and about 17% in a Thai poison center study looking at overdoses of kratom. Again, this is really people who are trying to get high and miss dose or you know take just take too much. Now, what else do we see in patients who are taking way too much? And again, this is usually people who are trying to get high. This is not the sort of. Traditional, uh, you know, use a couple of times a week, uh, but this is a; these are usually big doses. Uh, we can also see and have seen ventricular dysrhythmias. Um, there is a dose-dependent QT prolongations associated with kratom. Um, polymorphic VTAC or torsades um, has been well described. Uh, it really seems like um, people who are using kratom chronically, if they're not under the effects of kratom currently. Their QT is normal, uh, but while they are under the effects of Kratom, their QT prolongs. So uh, this is not one of those effects where a chronic Kratom user, if you do an EKG, they'll probably have a normal QT. But if they're currently feeling the effects of Kratom, they would have a long long QT. And if they took a very large overdose, their QT would be uh, significantly prolonged. And there's been, you know, I mentioned it already that you can have an opioid-related respiratory depression. There's a lot of debate about this, and if you, uh, there's a lot of more, more, de- less debate and more just opinions about whether or not it can happen. A lot of this is based on earlier data where metrazoline didn't really seem to cause respiratory depression, but metrazoline is not kratom. Um, you know, once you ingest kratom, that metrazoline gets converted to seven hydroxy, um, and um, what we do know is that um, if you give metragynine to or 7-hydroxymetraginine to animals, you can cause respiratory depression. There are hundreds and hundreds of deaths with elevated metragynine concentrations detected. However, most of those have co-ingestants, which may have caused the death. And so, you know, mixing drugs in large quantities is not a safe thing to do, which is no no big surprise to anyone on this uh, listening to this. Um, There are reported cases of fatalities with Pulmonary congestion mortem that is consistent with respiratory depression um, with metragenine, elevated metragynine concentrations and no other reported uh, substances. And so it does seem like if you take enough metragynine, you can have that. And this is the this is a sort of case report that that demonstrates that. And I think it's. Um, I, I think this is a very good case report. This is a 38 year old that took a large amount of kratom. Um, they had periods of apnea and this was all described. It occurred in an emergency department witnessed by healthcare care professionals, um, a respiratory rate of six with prolonged periods of apnea. They then responded to IV naloxone and they did urine testing and found metragenine and then sent the urine for uh, I have about 400 other sedatives and opioids and detected none and that included some of the novel opioids that we're seeing uh, being abused as well. So this is really convincing to me sort of from the clinical aspect and, and as I mentioned before if you take a, um, a mouse or another animal and you give them seven hydroxymetragenine they will stop breathing or have respiratory depression. This is one study where they gave metragynine. um, This is kind of interesting too. They gave metragenine and then um, also gave, and they developed uh, respiratory depression, but then they gave ketoconazole also, which inhibits the metabolism of metrogenine to seven hydroxymetragenine and didn't find any respiratory depression. So this really suggests that metabolites of seven hydroxymetraggeneine that's causing the respiratory depression um, and and not the uh all by itself. Another issue for um, you know for uh, caring for patients who are using kratom is drug interactions. These are Pretty potent inhibitors of CYP2D6, uh, and also moderate inhibitors of CYP3A4. Um, where does that get us in trouble? Uh, you know, obviously the list of medicines that are metabolized by either of these CYPs is extremely long. But uh, some of the ones that make me a bit concerned are the antidepressants, um, antiarrhythmics, has me very concerned, beta blockers, and opioids and 3A4, I'm sorry, and, and CYP2D6 interactions have been fairly well described in case reports. People developing serotonin toxicity from their uh, antidepressants with Kratom, um, and um, uh, people developing opioid toxicity because they're co-taking opioids with the Kratom. And then 3A4 is things like antidistrhythmics and other opioids as well as benzos, and um, these have been fairly well described as well. It does actually make you think a little bit about uh, some of those deaths that were co-ingestants and unfortunately the most common co-ingestants are opioids and benzos, both of which Uh, get metabolized predominantly by CYP2D6 and 3A4, so uh, these can be particularly, Kratom, I think can be, the adverse uh, effects or interactions with Kratom can be particularly concerning for people who are using opioids and benzos, which unfortunately is also a key group uh, who are Using kratom to decrease their opioid use, so um, I think that is one of the more concerning aspects of the drug interactions. Also, the antihistaminics and the beta blockers. So let me uh, wrap up my talk with just talking about its legality, because this has been quite a roller coaster ride. Um, the kratom is restricted or banned in multiple. Uh, Asian countries. Thailand had it banned for uh, about eighty years and just made it legal again in two thousand twenty-one. Um, Indonesia, interestingly, uh, grows naturally there. It's it's uh, restricted the uh, domestically, but you're allowed to grow kratom and harvest kratom leaves uh, to supply. Uh, to export. So, uh, Indonesia is one of the largest suppliers of kratom to the United States, but it's actually restricted domestically, uh, which is fascinating. Uh, across the world, there are uh, a sort of patchwork of whether it's you know illegal or legal. This is a list of some of the countries where it is illegal. And then in our state, it's in uh, more of a state-by-state, state, sorry, in our country, it's more of a state-by-state state issue in um, 2016 um, the DEA at the request of the FDA um, issued a report saying that they were planning on scheduling kratom uh, and its constituent chemicals as a schedule one drug as a as an opioid essentially uh, as an opioid of abuse I should say uh but that was quickly withdrawn uh based on some very very heavy pressure from um lobbyists mostly for the supplement industry and for the kratom industry as well Uh, and it now sits in um, a sort of limbo where it's not regulated and it's not scheduled Uh, it remains a chemical of concern by the DEA and um, the FDA uh has banned its import although clearly it's making somehow making its way into the united states because we see it everywhere at all you know every truck stop (laughs) on the highway you can find without going into all of the details this is a you know united states is a patchwork this is kind of like when you look at cannabis legalization um, it is illegal in some states. It is fully legal in other states. It has regulation in other states. Um, we have, in Oregon, we have some regulations. There's a bill to increase regulation um, as well, um, and to um, uh, to assure that what you're getting is Kratom um, and many, many different ways of uh, regulating this throughout the country. So, uh, what do we know? Uh, Kratom is uh, out there. It's very, very common. I think a lot of our patients are using it. Um, the take homes are that metrageny is not the only, uh, it's not the it's not the only constituent here. Probably, 7-hydroxy is playing a much bigger role than was previously thought. 7-hydroxy is a uh, full opioid uh, mu receptor agonist with all of the a good and bad that goes along with that. Uh, In overdose, we see opioid effects, but we also see seizures and ventricular tachycardia uh, and respiratory depression. It's currently legal. Um, State laws vary and it is relatively unregulated. Um, And uh, does it have therapeutic use? I think the plant product uh, probably doesn't have much Uh, in the way of proven therapeutic use. I am open to seeing more study because I think that's what is needed. Um, But a lot of the constituent chemicals, not necessarily 7-hydroxymetragenine, are very promising for some of those effects. So we'll see what happens um, as things go along. And I'm happy to take uh, questions. I wasn't able to keep up to date on the chat, so.
0: All right. I'll just, uh, thanks Dr. Hendrickson. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll just remind folks that if you have questions, please type them into the Q&A chat. Um, I have a couple. Um, Please. First, um, if you're seeing a patient um, in the ED or in your office and you have concerns about this, I'm, I'm guessing this won't show up on a normal urine drug screen, so how would you go about detecting its use?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It does not show up on urine drug screens. Uh, in fact, it's incredibly it's not that it's difficult to do the lab test. It's just difficult to find a lab that will do it. Um, so I think that this is uh, the really the only reliable way to detect this is going to be to ask, um, you know, whatever your question is about, do you take over the counter supplements are you using kratom or are you using cannabis or are you using cbd you know there's lots of these things uh, i think it just has to be part of your questioning particularly if you're looking you know if someone has uh chronic pain or an opioid use disorder or fits one of the characteristics that um uh, that we mentioned is adverse effects or something along those lines there's no good way of detecting this at all and i don't think if you ask someone what medicines are you on? They're gonna—they're gonna say kratom necessarily. Some might, but so I think you have to—you have to ask. You have to find a uh, list of things that you want to know about and ask them specifically. Yeah. Right. Thanks. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: Somebody did type into the chat that this test is available by confirmation and Providence, drug confirmation. Oh, nice. Metragenine, kratom urine lab twenty-five one seven
1: six. So. Fantastic, I, did I not love to that. hear it. I didn't know that either. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, we've historically had a lot of difficulty finding labs um, and it ends up being a send out. So that's, this is great news. Thank you for letting me know. Uh,
0: um, and I think you touched on this. Um, I think there was a slide on treatment for uh, uh, substance use disorder, specifically with Kratom. Um, yeah buprenorphine was effective is that correct
1: it's you know yeah I uh there's case series and case reports I I will say you know I I, the, the level of evidence is not tremendously high but um clinical uh experience and case series and case reports suggest that buprenorphine is effective now Um, Obviously, there needs to be a lot more study on this specifically, and a lot of the people who are getting treated with cream use disorder also have a coexisting opioid use disorder. Uh, And so it may be simply that buprenorphine is effective for their opioid use disorder. That said, that's the pathway I would go. I would um, use opioid replacement or whatever you're using for opioid use disorder. Uh, is the method that I would use for someone with kratom use disorder? Thanks.
0: Um, and does this uh, um, at your hospitals? Do you see a lot of folks uh, in the ED or different places with acute issues related to kratom?
1: Yeah, I. You know, I don't actually. I think. You <laughs> know, getting to your first question. Uh, I don't know how much we often detect people who are using Kratom on a regular basis. Um, So we don't see, I have not been seeing sort of the chronic effects. Um, I have not had, I think the cases of things like hepatotoxicity are extremely rare. Uh, Hyperpigmentation is very rare. Um, So the people who are using it sort of at low doses, we're not seeing a lot of effects. what the patients we are seeing is kratom withdrawal. Uh, people who stop using kratom, oftentimes they started using kratom because of their opioid use disorder, and then they kind of replaced their opioids with kratom, and then they stopped using kratom um, for one reason or another and um, develop withdrawal. So we do see that. Um, and I think the thing that we see the most often is really people who are trying kind of pushing the dosing limits in order to get high. Um so they just take a huge amount and those people will have multiple seizures. We've had a couple with um you know intubated uh spent some time in the ICU. So um and long QT in those scenarios. So um we do see it I would not call it common. This is certainly <laughs> not you know the scourge uh you know that that is other drugs of abuse fentanyl and meth and um so i would not call it common but we do see overdoses from people who are overdoing it in an attempt to get high thanks
0: yeah i i can think of my one personal experience in the last few months where i saw someone and he was told me he was using Kratom, I think a fair amount. He was also getting um, uh, stimulants from an online Mm. place for ADHD and he was drinking like 12 beers a day or something that just and wow, (laughs) where do you start? um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, I, I think that there is a very, very large population out there who are using it because you know, online, it says that it can replace your antidepressant and or it can be used for chronic pain. Um, you know, and all of those things may end up being true 10 years from now. I don't know, but um, I think the evidence for it is pretty poor now. But I think, um, you know, this is the age old question is how do you approach that person? Uh, you know, um, who has a, uh, you know, as a belief system or learn something online that uh, may or may not be factual. Um, that's It's a hard situation for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's
0: see, we'll give a few minutes for more questions. Sure.
1: Yeah, and kind of getting back to what we were talking about before, I would just encourage people to ask. You know, I think this. I think kratom use is a lot more. You know, you, mm-hmm. you can't you can't support all of those kratom shops <laughs> with that without being without it being uh, fairly common. So I think there's a lot of people using it. Um, again, I would not be too concerned about the occasional user. In those those scenarios, as long as they're not overdoing it, you know, it probably has a pretty good safety profile. Um, but people are who are heavy users or you know chronically using a lot or using it therapeutically. I think that's where the intervention comes in. Uh, I have personally seen several people who said I didn't like how fluoxetine made me feel, so I heard online that Kratom treats anti you know treats depression, and so. Um, you know i started using kratom you know and unfortunately you know i'm usually seeing them because their depression worsened um so i think that that's something to be cognizant of um people switching from their antidepressants or their opioids uh or um you know even antipsychotics, because there is a lot of you know if you go to depend on what blog you go to you know, on what website you go to, there's going to be a lot of people saying that it's effective for psychosis or effective for depression, and um, you know the, the 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 details of those studies are not particularly supportive. But um, those are those are semi factual um, comments. So,
0: and it sounds like the the prospects for banning kratom in the U.S. are pretty um, low.
1: I think so I you know um, my yeah I mean the DEA very quickly I think it was within two months withdrew their application to or their intent to uh, schedule it Um, the my personal hope is that uh, obvious I I think that needs to be revisited for sure Um, but if that doesn't happen I I one of the things I would like to see is that at least at a bare minimum is significant regulation. Um, I think that when you buy a capsule in a uh, you know truck stop, um, like most supplements, I'm not convinced what you're getting is kratom. Uh, and so at least with regulation, at least you're getting kratom. There's lots of reported cases of um kratom capsules being adulterated with tramadol or with oxycodone or um, other pharmaceuticals and so um, at least with regulation at least you'll know you're getting a botanical product <laughs> that came from the tree that they're saying it's from and you're not getting pharmaceutical products that um, have variable doses and so that would be my minimal hope is that at least it's regulated, kind of like the way cannabis is. Honestly, um, you know the dose you're getting because it's on the label. Um, you know that there's not other pharmaceuticals in there. Uh, and I think, you know, safe use kind of requires that. Thanks. We
0: uh, we do have another question. Um, mm-hmm. Has the Oregon Health Authority made any statements on their position as a public health risk?
1: Ooh. Well, that's a great question, and I don't I don't recall any OHA statement, but it's a good question and it's worth exploring. So I'm going to look into that a little bit, but I'm not 100% sure. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, I'm not seeing any other questions I think you've covered everything really well and that great was very interesting so thank you great.
1: thank you and thanks for having
0: me thanks everybody and uh, we'll see you next month for our February Grand Rounds which will be on breast cancer thanks